Welcome to Two Sharp Chefs and a Microphone. I'm Lorraine Moss, and this is Lily Victor, the cat lady. <laughs> and we are here today taping live at Locali in the Blue Diamond area. A new local restaurant, kind of a hot spot right now. Nice. It's brunch. Yeah. Come join us. So you're hearing like the brunch ambiance in the background. Right. And we're here with Susan Stapleton, the editor of Eater Las Vegas. How Hello. you doing? Hello. Thanks for meeting us out here. Oh, well, thanks for having yeah. brunch with me. Oh, my goodness. Mm, it was good. Thank Great you. food. Great food. <laughs> good time. Good talking. Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about the life of a food writer. I think that interests a lot of us because, you know, you get to eat for a living, which is awesome. Ish. <laughs> Awesome-ish. So kind of start with the path to being a food writer. How does that work? Well, I, I mean, I have a background in journalism. I went to J School at the University of Iowa. I worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer. I worked at the Des Moines Register. So I mainly have like a daily newspaper background. Uh, in Vegas, I've done a lot of lifestyle writing. I wrote about fashion, which of course has everything to do with food. For sure. Um, and did a lot of travel writing. So that was kind of the segue into becoming the editor of Eater Vegas. And what's your day look like? Is it a bunch of eating? Is it a bunch of writing? Kind of both? Or how does it go? Yoga pants and sports bras. Ooh, <laughs> that's the life. Yeah, that's the life. <laughs> oh, actually, I, I mean, I pretty much get out of bed and start writing and write and write. I mean, Eater, I always describe it as a, it's like, it's like having a child and you can't afford daycare. So you're constantly feeding it all day long. Yes. And then the eating doesn't come until later in the day after eater's done okay. before you start on tomorrow you eat some food <laughs> okay <laughs> and I mean you said you come from that newspaper background so how different is it now writing for a website or is it, is it an easy obvious transition it's a, well it's a different you take a different tone in the way you write you take a different um, you certainly do I would say that on Eater Vegas between Bradley Krista and I who are the three main writers. Um, we write more per day than every other food writer in this town does in a month. Right. So there's a lot of volume going on on Eater. Um, so as far as, like, a, it's a different pace. It's even, daily newspapers are tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is even tougher because it's okay. hourly. Mm-hmm. It's not, right. you know, you don't just write one story a week and ta-da, done. Yeah, I was going to say, at least with a newspaper, there's, like, a cutoff time. The newspaper comes out and, they, you know, there's, like, there's a period where it just, like, sleeps. You can actually sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Susan is up 24 hours a day, I feel, because I text her in the middle of the night. I'm like, Ooh. And she's like, replying. And she loves that, huh? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Still <laughs> up. Yeah. I'm always working. So writing about food, is that similar to writing about fashion? I mean, it's definitely lifestyles, both of them. The first thing about Eater Vegas is that we don't review things. Okay. So like we're not, we didn't, we had brunch here. It was great. We enjoyed it. But I'm not going to go back and write a review of this. Right. We don't review any restaurants. So you're not food critics? Not at all. Or we are, we're, it's more like being a business reporter where you're writing about restaurants opening, restaurants coming, restaurants closing. Who has great Thai food? Who has great brunches? Who does a great happy hour? So it's not, it's not, a, there's no critiquing at all. We have 
two food critics with Eater, and they're both in New York City. And that's what they do, is right? They critique restaurants and give it grades. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say in a way, I mean, like with fashion, you need to know the trends and what's going on. You need to know who the players are. Um, I ran Racked Vegas while it was open here. I opened and closed it for its brief period of time. But it was, you know, with Racked, it was, there aren't a lot of local designer boutiques. There's a lot of fashion on the strip, but that's very different from what you and I are wearing on a daily basis. Whereas with food, I mean, this is, anybody, it's accessible. And this Mm -hmm. is something that everybody can, you know, if they save up their money and want to come out to eat once a year, um, or whether they go out seven days a week. It's something I think that it's accessible to everybody. I think a lot of people don't think about fashion. You know, they just put on clothes or buy something. Um, I think the, yeah, I think it's very, it's very similar, but very different. And I think you're right. Everybody has to eat. Everybody eats every day. And I think now more than ever, and it might be because of websites like Eater and definitely because of social media, that people are kind of obsessed with food. I mean, it's like you're at breakfast. What are we having for lunch? You're at lunch. What are we having for dinner? What are we doing next weekend? It's like more of a social activity than ever. That, and I think I really get the sense that people want to be the first to have eaten at a place. They're like, have you eaten there yet? What'd you get? Yeah, for people, sure. People want to know that kind of thing, too. But yeah, professional advice, when a place opens, you want it to kind of season out for like maybe a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So they can iron out the kinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And stuff. So don't be too, too in a hurry. Definitely go, but don't be too, too. I think that's a generational thing, too, about being the first. Um, a lot of social media is like that. So it's kind of that whole mentality of, well, I'm the first to get these shoes. And I'm the first to get this picture. Right. And I'm the first, you know, to go to that restaurant. It kind of feeds into that whole immediacy of millennial life. And then you couple that with just being in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And to me, a lot of, maybe not necessarily where we're at today at La Calle, but especially on the Strip, it's about an experience mm-hmm. and about you want to you want the consumer who eats at your restaurant to have a story to take home. So when they go back to, um, you know, Rye, New York, they're like, I went to this restaurant and they had these wine angels going up and down in the wine cellar. It's the coolest thing. And they get to be, act like they're cool in front of their friends and tell them something maybe they didn't know about Mm -hmm. Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Um, I would say it's more of a food town than it's ever been before. I agree. And, you know, for the beginning of that renaissance, it a lot had to do with the strip and the fact that we could bring every celebrity chef in the world onto one street, which is extremely unusual. Mm-hmm. You know, even for New York City, that's unusual to have that many top chefs on one street, literally, the boulevard. And we're talking, you know, everybody. We all know the names, Baloud. Thomas Keller, Jose Andres, blah, 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 forever. Um, But I think what makes it even more of a food town now, especially for the local food scene, a lot of the people that you're writing for, um, there are places like this. Locali, there are places, you know, in Spring Mountain on Chinatown area, there are places in Summerlin. Uh, What do you think about this progression in Las Vegas? So the food scene here seems to be climbing fast. Well, so like, I I used to live in Las Vegas. I'm sorry. (laughs) Las Vegas. You live in Las Vegas. I still do, yeah. Uh, I used to live in Philadelphia. And 
if you were a chef at a big name restaurant and you wanted to open up your own place, the cost of getting a liquor license was astronomical. Like, and don't quote me, but like a quarter of a million dollars. Holy crap! One time fee, or is it? Can you actually like pay into to it? To get the liquor license. So, there were also only a limited number of liquor licenses in Pennsylvania. So you had to wait for somebody to die or close in order to get a liquor license. Like to be grandfathered in kind of right. thing. So the, what would happen is chefs, so you're at like a striped bass, which is no longer in Philadelphia, but you want to go off and open your own restaurant. Some of those costs are pretty prohibitive. So you'd open a BYOB. And then people would bring their own wine, bring your own tequila, we'll make you a margarita kind of thing. So like in Las Vegas, I see it as these chefs... You know, Nicole Brisson is a great example here at Locale. She was at Carnovino. Um, she was at Italy. I mean, she's making bank and working at some of the biggest names on the strip. Wanted to do her own thing. Here she is in Mountain's Edge. And she has, um, she has control over the menu. She has control over the products that they're using. Um, but they're not doing it. I mean, it certainly didn't cost as much to open this restaurant as it would for something on the strip. Oh, correct. And Absolutely. on top of it, as you both know, working in, you work in a casino, Louis, but you work at a, a very huge mall. A lot of the times, these casinos have expectations of the restaurant. So you might have a rent you have to pay, like a, a nut you have to pay every month. And if you can't hit the nut, the casino can take over operations of your restaurant. True that. Well, down here, Nicole doesn't have that. She doesn't have to worry about... I mean, yeah, she's going to worry about whether they're making money or not, but it's her terms, not somebody else's saying you have to do that. So, yeah, I, there are a lot of chefs coming off the strip to do this type of thing. Chinatown is insane right now, and there's so many restaurants coming in from, from Taiwan, from China, from right. Korea that are being imported into Las Vegas, that that's really exciting. And they kind of really don't care about whether we write about them on Peter or not. No, they just want to make good food. It's it's a little different, I think, yeah. for the American eater. They sometimes get a little bit confused in a place like Chinatown, and it gets bad Yelp reviews because of the way the service is. But, you know, a lot of Asian restaurants, it's just about the food, and that's it. <laughs> they don't care. It's like, sit down. I'm going to go get you food. It doesn't quite have that, hey, how are you? Like, right. It's, it's a little different, um, yep. but I think people in this area are getting more used to that because those restaurants are becoming very popular, right? Uh, talking a little bit more about the local food scene, what kind of food scene, like, what are, what's your food scene here? Like, what are the places that you like to frequent or places that are exciting and go-to places for you? Who's buying? <laughs> <laughs> Say there's no budget. Oh, well, I'm going to go to Robichon every day of the week. Right. I love Robichon. I love Robichon. But that's totally, you know, like, if I ate like that every day, not only would I be poor, but I'd also be fat and, like, just because it's so rich and so butter, butter French. and more butter. butter. Yeah. Just the potatoes alone can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a choice to one ratio for our Robichon potatoes. Yeah. It's like two pounds of butter to one pound of potato. It's And you aerate and whip that into Oh, yeah. It's like, you have to keep whipping and whipping and whipping. I used to make those potatoes at Bazaar. They do uh, rubbishon potatoes at Bazaar, and they're just, I mean, uh, it's like really half, rich. half butter and cream, and it's really salt rich. and super delicious. 
um, it's really bad for you. It's kind of like putting like a, an IV of like melted butter straight <laughs> into your veins. And that's but, why it's so good. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, like Julia Child said, everything's better with butter. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about locally? Like last, off so the strip, say. Last, last week I went to Hatsumi. Um, that's Dan Cromer's new restaurant. Yes. The second time I've eaten there. Um, really fun. Really, for what it is, pretty inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Good food, quality. It was packed. I'm really, I'm really happy for him. Um, I ate at La Strega, the Gina Marinelli's new Italian restaurant up in actually Samoan, and that was phenomenal too. Again, it was packed. Such a beautiful place too. So I, I love the the walls, the, the wallpaper, and the paint. It's so beautiful. Really feminine. It is. And it's cool, like, female chef. Yeah, I haven't been yet, so... Oh, we'll go. It's amazing. Somebody has to peel the curtain back. (laughs) Yeah. And Julian Serrano was there. Uh That was my star sighting of the night. Oh. (laughs) Because it's Julian. Julian. And then I ate at um, Forte Tapas recently. I don't know if you've been there. Just celebrated 10 years. Um, It's interesting. It's, like, kind of all over the map. It's Very like Eastern European, Eastern European but then they have like some Spanish yes. and they have like a little deli market that's kind of interesting that has, you know, like cool little charcuterie cheeses, meats, and it's just a very unusual spot. And it's in the middle of nowhere. It's by like a Lee's Discount Liquor or something like that in the Southwest. Rainbow and um, like Tropish flamingo. or Flamingo yeah. right in the middle there. Yeah. There's like a big uh, Mexican food market there mm-hmm. and like a UMC Quick Care. Oh. So it's in the middle of nowhere. Okay, by the La Bonita. Yeah, that's one of the places we got to go to because they have like some really cool, like random Eastern European tapas. Okay. Um, she does a, she's starting a caviar business. Interesting. Oh, it should be really cool. Caviar, caviar. So we're talking about food. Is there a food that you just, you crave, you have to have, you know, all the time? Well, I'm, you and I were talking about Peruvian food. I love Onsei. That's one of my favorite restaurants in Las Vegas right now. I'm obsessed with Peruvian food. What do you like about Peruvian food? I, just, I like the acid mixed with the rich ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the Japanese cooking technique. I love eating ingredients that I may not be familiar with and trying something new. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love Misa Mercado. He's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to argue with Zarate. Right. Um, for me, Peruvian food. We make actually a sauce at Bazaar. I shouldn't say we because I don't, I don't uh, work there anymore, but I feel like a Bazaar forever. It's all right. But Leche so de Tigre. Yep. Yeah. Is the most delicious Peruvian sauce ever made. I still make that every day. Come taste my leche. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. So Leche de Tigre means uh, milk of the tiger or tiger's milk. Yeah. And where that comes from is it's it's super interesting. Do you know that story on that? I am the tiger. <laughs> okay. You are the cat. <laughs> it comes from you, Louie. Oh, yeah. Um, so Leche de Tigre, the origin of that that's kind of interesting is, so Leche de Tigre has the same ingredients as ceviches. So everything that goes into ceviche is like, you know, the red onions, the, the citrus, the, the taste of shrimp or fish. Mm-hmm. So what they would do is they'd have the leftover juice from ceviches all day long at these, like, tapas bars. And the guys would come home from fishing, from whatever jobs that they had. And on their way home, 
they would save this like leche de tigre for these guys that would come and drink and they'd have the leche de tigre and they called it tiger's milk because they believed if they had that on the way home that they'd be able to please their wives when they got home. Hello. Again, I am so the tiger. <laughs> so that's a little food random lesson for you but that sauce to me is like heaven. Hey, guess what? I'm a fisherman too actually. Oh, are you? <laughs> Just kidding. You like a tuna hunter? Yeah, tuna. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. I know. I have a chef's sense of humor. I'm sorry. Pardon me. <laughs> anyway. Every chef does. Yeah. Uh, so, Eater. Um, it's a website. And right. also, you're all over social media. It really affects how we eat nowadays. Social media and, and, and outfits like Eater. I mean... Literally, you will say something, and that restaurant could be popular the next day. Yes, accurate. How do you feel about that? Like, okay, share me a story of like a restaurant that you you put on Eater and just like completely turned their business around. Oh, that's easy. I hear about that all the time. I yeah. hear um, a great example is Stephen Galdo. He opened a restaurant called Owl. It was on Russell and Tropicana. Um, we were writing about it long before he opened. We were writing about it when he opened. We put him on the heat map. He had restaurant. He had people coming in from off the strip to dine at his place all the time. We helped him survive. Yeah. Um, he ended up closing the restaurant. He's going to open something new, maybe this fall. I'm not sure when. Um, you know, the the black sheep. It's another great example. I've heard from them. I've heard from the broken yoke. How, you know, I put you on the heat map. We have people coming in and they say, I read about this on Eater. And I had to... So it's... it's. Um, see, I wish I would have looked this up before I talked to you guys. <laughs> well, do you feel like, just generally, do you feel like that's your service to the people? That, you know, you're giving them something that they can, like, use as a way to decide where they want to go? Yes. Or, like, what's... You know what I mean? What's the, what's the goal of yeah. Eater? Well, the goal is always the reader. I mean, this isn't about Nicole saying, can you put me... I will say, I'll give you an example. I had a restaurant I will not name, um, and a friend of mine worked there and was begging me to put them on the heat map. And I said, you're not hot. Your restaurant's not hot. I can't do that to my readers. Mm -hmm. It's like, but we're dying over here. And I'm like, (laughs) not my fault. You got to make it hot. Change your menu, change your chef. You know, make it... So what are kind of the criteria to be a hot restaurant? Uh, well, people are talking about it. People are going there. You're reading about it on social media. You're, when we write stories, people are getting excited and reading about it. Um, I mean, you can certainly look at page views and tell what readers are excited about. And know, you know, people don't care about this place. They are dying to know when this place opens. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of that. It's a combination of that. Usually the heat map... Um, the heat map's the second biggest map we do, updated once a month on Eater. It's probably the second biggest page views for the year, second only to the Eater 38. The restaurants are usually less than six months old to be on the heat map, um, so it's constantly changing. So being a food writer seems to me like an ideal job. It depends. <laughs> I don't know. You eat for I a living. Love that. You write, which is one of my, these are my two, two of my three, top three favorite things, right? Like eating and writing. I don't, um, ha- I don't have sex on the job. I'm sorry. <laughs> that 
is going to be my number one. Oh my um, so, I can't either. <laughs> see how fast I said two of my favorite three. Um, is it as glamorous as it seems? No. <laughs> that was a very quick no. Hard no. No, it's not glamorous, and I'm not interesting. It's, you know, it's, it's a job like anything else. It just happens to be in a glamorous industry. It's, um, I mean, it's fun to write about food. It's not fun right. to write about... Dead bodies. That's what I used to write about when I was in the news business. So I'd say that's a step up. <laughs> well, I think it's a different type. It depends on what you're interested in. I love true crime. So that definitely interests me. Do Job I want to... Right. <laughs> but do I want to go knocking on someone's door to ask them about their daughter who was just found dead? No. I did that uh, probably three out of five days mm-hmm. of the week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not only that, I can tell you this will horrify you. Hopefully it'll horrify you. Uh, I have to laugh because it's so terrible. I actually once, and this was in Las Vegas, a news director here, who's like the boss at a news station, he told me to go knock on a door. And this is common, what you're saying, Susan, to to knock on doors after tragedies, right? Mm -hmm. To, To get a personal point of view, you know, like a real story. But he told me to knock on a door after somebody was murdered for knocking on that door. Okay. So someone comes to knock on the door, and we call it, like, you know, knocking on door murder or something like that, because, you know, we're great with those headlines in news. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Door murder or something. Knocking on door murder. So do you want that to be, like, the reveal? Like, do it live on TV, too? Right? (laughs) I mean, I look at him in this news meeting... I'm like, and I say, you have me are you that? serious? This guy just knocked on the door and was murdered. You want me to go knock on that door? And he says, well, obviously he's not there. You know, it's his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is... I would so throw <laughs> stones. So this is the difference between writing about crime right. and food. But, I mean, there's also that you get that adrenaline rush when true. you get a big story. That's there's, true. That certainly happens with, with what we're doing on Eater. Uh, when you get to beat people, when you find out that, I mean, Jave, David Chang opening a second restaurant in Las Vegas, I've known that for a year. Didn't write about it because I didn't have it. And then when we finally did, we, we still had it first, even though I sat on it for eight months. Um, there's still like that adrenaline rush. Like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And um, I mean, you know, you could write about dams. You could write about... Uh, building houses you know it just depends on what you're into some people really dig that stuff yeah um, so it's, but it's not glamorous like I said sports browns yoga pants <laughs> it's not glamorous <laughs> I have my hair in a bun right now it's not glamorous so eating out as much as you do I don't know about that but go ahead get the chance to let's yes. say that true um, eating out as much as you get the chance to do you ever get jaded because Louie and I, we tend to be critical. So that's our thing. As Wait. chefs and cooks, yeah. we'll eat out and we'll enjoy it, but we'll also uh-huh. see yeah. you know, all the little details that kind of annoy us. We try to not think about them, but we, you know, service, food, whatever it is, little irritations. It'll come as an afterthought. Right. Yeah. Well, well, sometimes on dates. Well, we've, we've talked about this. Sometimes yeah. if you can kind of, you know, little things annoy you. But you know, it really depends who your date is. True. True. Yeah. But when you've been with someone for a long time, yeah. Well, <laughs> you start to notice things around you more. So anyways, what we're getting at is, you know, you can be jaded because you've done it so many times. 
So do you ever get like, oh, I don't really want to go out to eat. I don't want to go to this restaurant opening because you've done it so many times. We asked two different questions there. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I tend to very rarely go to restaurant openings. Okay. Um, it is not the experience that a common person is going to have. It's not Makes sense. the food that they're going to serve. It's not the presentation that they're going to have. So, I, I mean, Mama Rabbit is opening on when, you know, they're doing their opening Wednesday. I'm going to go to that. But that's more to see it. Cool. Then, again, we don't review restaurants, so none of that really mm-hmm. matters. But it gives you an idea of, should I get excited about this place? As excited as I am, am I on target here for being excited? Even though I'm not really a tequila drinker, I'm not really a mezcal drinker. Um, but the artwork looks pretty phenomenal. Amazing. Um, so I don't go to a lot of restaurant openings, and I tend to pick and choose what I do go to. A lot of it ha- depends. So for an opening, I'm looking at, like, what does this really look like? I've already seen, Louis already sent me photos, so I know what it looks like, but what does it really look like? Um, and then the just going out to eat, it's nice. I can pick and choose where I go. So I'm not... You know, I don't, I'm, no one's saying you need to go to XYZ restaurant because it just opened. No one's saying that. I can just go when I want to go. Um, so I guess I don't get as jaded, but I do notice those things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, like, let's say that um, I went out to eat at a place and the rest of the food was kind of, uh, like, really? This isn't as good as I thought it was going to be, and the service was down terrible. Well, then I probably wouldn't put it on the heat map. Um, let's say I want to figure out whether something should go on the Eater 38, which is our essential restaurants, and I had those kind of experiences. And say, like, well, do I, would I recommend this restaurant? Probably not. Um, I mean, so it's good to see bad in a restaurant, mm-hmm. to figure out what to tell people to eat. That's true. But it's, I don't get jaded about it. Are there any food trends that you're either excited about or annoyed with? It seems like we're going very casual in Las Vegas, and I would say that that's perhaps a reflection of the possible recession on the horizon. Um, It probably means that consumers want to eat less expensive food. Um, They want... We're seeing, like, a really... huge variety of food coming to the Strip. There's hot pots coming uh, to the Grand Canal shops, which is kind of interesting. We've had Korean barbecues open. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot more, I would say, a lot more Asian food coming as far as on the Strip. Um, The weird thing to me is that MGM doesn't have anything really big opening this fall. Ombra opens tomorrow night at uh, MGM Grand. That's an Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mama Rabbit opens Wednesday at uh, Park MGM. And they have, uh, their other restaurant opening is at Excalibur. It's a sports bar. Right. So they're not, you see kind of, the, this is this has been the weirdest year in that there have been so many restaurants that open this summer. And usually summer is not a big time for restaurant openings in Vegas. There's not a lot happening in fall. Fall is always huge for restaurant openings. And I don't know of anything opening between Christmas and New Year's. And that's 
there are usually at least five, if not more, restaurants opening in that time period. Wynn is all 2020 with Thomas Keller and Delilah's and the Mexican restaurant. So there's none of... Wynn has nothing coming. Um, it's kind of weird. It's weird. I mean, I feel with the MGM thing, it could also be that they're doing the 2020 thing where a lot of people are getting laid off in the restaurants, so it's like they're laying so many people off. It's happened to a lot of our friends, actually, like chefs, even front of the house people. Um, that might see be, my face. That might be contributing to the fact that they're not opening anything because they're having to 86 people. They just bought 50, a 50% stake in Seidel Group, which owns Nomad. Mm -hmm. They've got money. Yeah, they're definitely laying off a lot of people. Yeah. And so, I mean, I wonder, but maybe it's like you said, maybe they're also preparing for things going down. I don't Possibly I don't they usually know more than we do when it comes to financials. Yeah. Uh, so going back to food writer, okay. how does, say there's somebody in school and they go to hospitality management school or, or whatever, wherever they go, mm -hmm. you know, or they come out of high school, whatever, and their dream is to be a food writer, which is doesn't sound crazy nowadays because it does sound like a glamorous job and people are obsessed with food. It's not. <laughs> I'm guessing there's not a traditional route for something like this, but what are some ways no. that they can kind of market themselves but or I, prepare I, themselves? I think um, there are some reporters at, and editors at Eater who have gone to culinary school. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can learn ingredients and do things like that for your career, that can only help. Um, I think an internship is great. I think internships are um, geared toward very rich people who can afford to... <laughs> not get paid. Not get paid. <laughs> um, and I'm going to say most of the major media companies are in New York City. So mm -hmm. you're going to have two other jobs just to support yourself and you're going to live with a 20 people or something. But yeah. hey, it's a fun summer. Yeah. Um, I definitely went through that in the news business. I mean, I ate ramen right. pretty much every day. Ramen sustains, you know, <laughs> potential millionaires. I ate ramen. Yeah. I had my parents' gas card. I mean, it was, they were lean times in the beginning of my journalism career. Yeah. And, you know, there's fewer and fewer journalism jobs. So mm -hmm. I'd also think about different ways you might be able to get into journalism as opposed to working in a traditional, say, newspaper or magazine. Or even a website like Eater. I mean, there's 24 sites worldwide, so there's only 24 editor jobs. There's not. Eater National has more positions, obviously, but you're not going to... I mean, unless you start as an intern, it's going to be tough to get in. Or unless you try to be a city editor, I think it's going to be tough to get a job. And a lot of those jobs aren't full-time. So... Again, you got to have some money somewhere safe. Right. Yeah. Um, or you just have to work your ass off. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, you can say whatever so, you want. You know, it's not so glamorous. If you want to be glamorous, be an influencer. They're a totally different breed. Well, again, I'd say that's a... Yeah. We're on that topic. Um, how do you feel about that genre? <laughs> social media influencers and social media. I mean, obviously, in some ways, they help you as well. I mean, in some ways. But other ways, are they just competition? No, they're not competition. No. no. Just curious what no. you think. Um, I think it's a phase, and I think it'll go away. I, I'll, I'll give you an example that's not from 
food. I had a fr- I have a friend who follows this woman on Instagram who's taken this brand of vitamins. And she was like, oh, my God, I got to go get those vitamins. And she broke out in a rash. Are those so pretty ones? Like, they're called, like, pretty vitamins or something, something like, like that. that. <laughs> and I said, it's the vitamins. You need to go get some Benadryl and take it right now. And she's like, but I really want to take these vitamins. <laughs> and I'm like, why, wow. do you, why do you want to take them? And she's like, well, this woman takes them. I'm like, Who, you don't even know her. And she's beautiful. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Excuse me. I got all worked up there. Yeah, no, I I mean, I get it. And I know in the chef community as well, and and we have friends that are social media influencers, especially for food, because we walk in the same circles. Uh, But I mean, I know a lot of the chef community and the restaurant community, it's kind of one of those things where they're, it's like a love-hate relationship, because it does bring people to their restaurants. True. And it does make people excited about a new dish or True. a summer menu or that kind of thing. Yeah. Question. Question. What do you think about Yelp? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should see your face. <laughs> Eater is not a fan of Yelp. Mm-hmm. Back to the influencers, though. Yeah. Um, I think they're very similar, that and Yelp. It's more, why am I trusting this girl walking by right here. I don't know her. I don't know what her taste is. So she says she has a bad experience. Well, but what does she know? Where is she eating? What has she done? It's you know, so I would, random. If you told me, you and I work together, really, <laughs> if you said, I went to this place and it wasn't that great, mm-hmm. I'd trust you because I know you. And I, I know you're a chef. I know your background. Um, but, you know, for some a random group of people to get together and think that they have influence over whether people go to a restaurant or not. I don't know. They're not getting paid. Um, I think they get paid in food for the most part. Right. So how... How do you trust that? I don't know. If you got your food for free, are you going to say something bad about it? Mm, Good point. Or the other way around. Or if you, if you ate don't it when get you're your like extremely hungry and when your standards are out the window. Well, low standards. I know for a fact that there are people that don't get their food for free and they get mad and then they post a bad Yelp review. Exactly. They're not my friends, but I know people like that. I know people that go on Yelp to just mm-hmm. complain, just to complain. Right. Yeah. Well, that's really honestly, I mean, let's be honest, it's kind of the the main thing that you do on Yelp. Usually people go to Yelp because they're mad, not because they're super happy. Well, that's true. I mean, the meaning of Yelp is like, Ew. right? Yeah. It's, it's not, not like the most positive, positive place to go. Otherwise, it would be So. <laughs> what do you, on that subject of positivity and negativity, how... How do you feel about, like, Louie and I talk about this all the time, like positivity, there's, there's positive chefs, there's negative chefs, there's a lot of negative chefs, to be honest, there's a lot of negative people in our industry. How do you handle that, just in general? You don't have to bring up any specifics, but just... The positive people, I love them. <laughs> and the haters, you just ignore them? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I do, because my husband's also, you know on TV and on the radio. And what he's learned over a period of time is if he tries to fight them back, it's just going down a rabbit hole that You're feeding he into can't the get energy, out of. You know? And it just becomes more and more negative and it makes his life negative. 
so he's really good at just yeah goes right over his hat just like blinders yeah mm. I, I'm not very good at it I tend to fight back and I need to learn like with maturity and age that I need to shut the hell up sometimes and just let it roll off my I'm back. all neutral I'll hug everybody you are very neutral you're even though I know you're like, very uncontroversial as a person mm. I like that about you <laughs> I'll go hug everybody so yeah <laughs> you're a lover not a hater yep <laughs> see and it's characteristic for a cat person because what I notice about Eater is that it's, like you said, it's not really like a, a critic type of publication for the most part. So you guys really aren't, you don't really have that negative edge. It's, it's very positive. As it's is. about your opening. We're and reporting. This is great. And yeah. blah, blah, blah. And we come here. We can be snarky. We can be snarky. And we can, I mean, we, we do a lot about the health department, health department closing restaurants. So it's not all, it's not positive. I'd say it's more neutral. Okay. Then it's, it's not meant to be positive. I mean, Unbiased. I mean, it feels positive when I, you know, for instance, if I'm on social media, I follow you guys. Mm-hmm. I'll see, you know, Hatsumi is opening or Crack Shack or, and to me, that's positive information. It's information that I could use and go there. You know, I can see what it looks like from Louis' pictures or another photographer. I can get excited about it. That feels positive to me. Excited. Feels like more of a positive spin. I mean, if you're in the hospitality industry, anything opening is kind of like a baby. You know what I mean? Welcome it. And I'd say that, I mean, one of the other things that Eater does is there are certain restaurants that we kind of like to write a lot about. We get excited about them. because, And we're excited about them because we think you're excited about them. So we'll write and write and write and write and write about them. Um, And it's intentional. It's, it's, It's very much an Eater thing. Is it kind of to spread the good, or like what would be the reason why you'd be more likely to write about a restaurant or a chef? Or? Well, usually it's a it's feeding back into what readers are excited about. So yeah. readers are okay. excited about this, we're excited about this, and readers are excited about that. It's a, it's a circle, and it just feeds itself. When you notice that the the page views start falling off, you move on to something else. Okay. So there's a method to the madness. But I, lately, the thing people are getting excited about are all of these, it's almost like a hot and juicy crawfish with these seafood restaurants that are opening, sorry, um, <laughs> with the, they'll have the sauce and they'll do it in a bag. Um, there's like a couple different, there's one on the east side opening up, there's one opening on the west side. People are getting very excited about that. I love me some hot and juicy. That place is insanely good. Garlic shrimp. I haven't been in a while. Dumping it on the table. But then I gotta have five jobs right now. So. Yeah, right. you do. Yeah. <laughs> you need to take it down a notch, though. Right. <laughs> so, um, like, when we find these little places that are opening, we tend to write more about them than we normally would. What's the best part of your job? We talked about some of the, you know, not so great, but what's the best part? What makes you excited to do what you do? Oh, well. I mean, the scoops is number one, getting scoops, and then um, just seeing, so every morning we get a report on how many pages we've had the day before. Um, I can look that up at any time. I have multiple ways of looking that information up, and just seeing, just going like, whoa, what, hello, (laughs) that was kind of a crazy day. People went really, got really excited about this. Mm -hmm. That was, it's those two things I think are the biggies. 
And plus, I, I mean, I love writing, so. I love writing, too. You're a woman after my own heart. <laughs> Food and writing. Right. So we're going to move on to On the Fly, okay. which is our 60-second quick okay. questions, fun questions. Louis is going to do it with you. All I'm right. going to start the timer and just say what comes to your mind. All right, ready, Lou? Yep. Susan Stapleton, On, on the, fly. the Fly. Favorite hobby outside of work? Boot camp. Overrated food trend? Uh, kale. <laughs> Inspirational chef, living or dead? Oh, Robichon. Movie you could watch over and over and over. <laughs> About 10. We'll just say casino. Um, favorite place to hang out in Las Vegas? Uh, Shea Susan. Uh, favorite item to cook at home? Uh, I do play apron. That's very vague, but yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite go-to dessert? Oh, that Budino. That Budino yeah. was good here. It was super good. Favorite book or magazine? Um, right now, I, I wouldn't say I have a favorite. I, I love crime noir, so big Jim Thompson, um, Mildred Pierce. Postman okay. always rings twice. I have to ask you this. If you had a death row meal, what would it be? A what? Death row meal. Last meal. <laughs> Last supper. Oh, I'll go to Robichon. Yeah, that's a good one. Tom I'm not going to ask if you're like a cat or a dog person. Cat. <laughs> oh, look at Last that. question. Yeah. We know. Go ahead. I found another cat person. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast with two cat ladies. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Well, that was fun. Thank you so much, Susan Stapleton. Thank you Editor for of me. Eater Las Vegas. We were at Locali. Come on by. This is a pretty cool restaurant. It's my first time here, but I'm excited about it. It's like cool, upscale, rustic environment. Great rustic. Yeah. We had a good time here today. Louis, um, tell them uh, how they can reach us. You can reach us, Two Sharp Chefs, on our Instagram at Two Sharp Chefs, on our Facebook page at Two Sharp Chefs and the microphone, and on our email at Two Sharp Chefs at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we will see you again for Two Sharp Chefs and a Microphone. I'm Lorraine Moss. And this is Louie. And we got Susan Stapleton with us. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a great week.